I'm so excited about this new uh, sermon series that we're starting today. It's called How to Get Other People to Change. I just, I, I'm so, I can't even tell you how. I've been, this one's been brewing for a while with me. And uh, we, we all have people in our life that we wish would change, right? It's okay to be honest. Like we all have people, or maybe not right now, but this year you will encounter a situation where you wish someone would change, somebody in your family. It's not a bad thing. Usually we have good motives. You know, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a child, maybe it's an adult child, a teenager, a, a young child. But like, when, you're, when you love somebody and you want what's best for them, you want them to change, Right? Especially when it's obvious, right? Especially when it's affecting you. You know, if everyone else would, would do what I think, why the world would be better, including me. I'm not selfish. I just want things to go well for everybody else and me. <clears throat> Does that make sense what I'm saying? So we can become, you know, sort of these little miniature hall monitors, right? There's a sort of a negative side of this. But then we can just stick them right down here and down there and we'll. Um, but it's inescapable. Oh, and by the way, there's, <laughs> there's probably people in your life that wish you would change. Okay? Hate to say it, but, you know, maybe you're not perfect. Just there's a chance. Okay? <laughs> and I don't know about you. There's been times in my life that I was under-functioning and other people were over-functioning for me to try to get me to change. And then there's been times in my life I've been the one over-functioning for somebody else. And all of this leads to conflict and it can lead to resentment and it can lead to frustration. And then what's great about it is, or not great about it, is a lot of times it doesn't even work. Like a lot of times, our attempts to help people, air quotes, help people, end up making it worse. And we end up producing more confusion, not more harmony. Right? Have y'all, will you agree with this? I, I mean, I know, I know I'm right, but I don't know if y'all think I'm right, but I, I know I am. So, I, but I want you to think I'm right. <laughs> So I, I love these sermons that we've got coming, and today is called, oh, let me make sure I can pronounce these fancy words right, um, Baros versus Fortios, Fortion, Baros versus Fortion, the V is an N, it's, it's hard to pronounce Greek, it's Greek to me, Baros versus Fortion, helping the needy without enabling laziness. And then next week, we're going to look at um, the log and the speck in your eye. Hey, if you see somebody else that needs help, first, remove the giant tree limb from your eye, right? So we're going to look at that. Not fun, okay? You might, some of you want to skip next week, because obviously you don't need that. <laughs> and then uh, two weeks, we're going to be uh, looking at Throwing your pearls before swine. 
this is all sermon. This week we're not in the Sermon on the Mount. This is setting it up. But then we're going to be at sort of the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm just going to say, I can't believe. I mean, I feel like this should be obvious, but as a pastor, I can't believe how many grown, mature, mature Christians that I know who don't get this stuff. And it causes you problems. And so this is born, this sermon series is born out of listening to a lot of you who are good people, trying your best, but you're bumping your head against a wall, and then sometimes you say, I need help. I'm dealing with my kid. I'm dealing with a friend. I'm dealing with somebody at work, right? And so there is such good teaching that we're going to be looking at in this series. So this is just a plea to, to come back um, every Sunday. And... Uh, how not to have a Messiah complex, being principled without bring, being a jerk. I'm st- I am really excited about this, I'm telling you. But today we're going to look at Baros versus Fortion. So can you say Baros? Can you say Fortion? See, now you're all Greek scholars. And, and the knowing the difference between these two words, I think will set somebody free today at least on the inside, may be free to not feel so guilty about what you're doing or not doing. Okay? Um, I served in uh, Renz, Georgia. I get to go back and do a revival there in a couple weeks. I'm stoked. I I can't wait. But, um, you know, Renz, Georgia, small town in Jefferson County near Louisville and outside of Augusta. (laughs) And Renz... You know, it's small town, and, and it still retains a lot of that small town deal. And I was the summer youth worker there in 98 and 99, and then I went back full-time from 2002 to 2004 as their children and youth director. And I love those, those folks. And in that town, you know, there's one, well, there's more than one good place to eat, but one of the best places to eat is on the corner, downtown, Peggy's. You know, and it's just a classic southern food, uh, diner, good breakfast, good, I mean, you know, they know how to use uh, salt and sugar and bacon. You know what I mean? Like, they know how to cook food that will kill you. Uh, <laughs> and, but I ate many a meal at Peggy's, you know, and then... The, the old IGA grocery store, now they got a bigger one that came in, but the, the one where all the locals shop is Haddon's grocery store. And so it's Miss Peggy Haddon. And it was her husband and wife, Peggy and Lester Haddon. Lester Haddon ran the grocery store. Peggy ran the restaurant. And they were members, and they are members, of Wren's United Methodist Church. And just, do y'all know the term the social fabric? I've thought a lot about that more and more lately, like when you think about these shootings. The social fabric is precious. The ties that bind us together as a society. And they're ripping, they're tearing, you know, and we could, we could analyze this forever, but we, we are losing our social, it's, it's probably it's gone in many ways, and that's what a lot of what we're struggling with, is we don't know each other, we don't know our neighbors, but this is what I love. Ben Martin was my pastor in 98 and 99 at Renz, and I loved it. People would come to the church for assistance, like every church, you know, and it was great, and Ben was the kind of pastor that he knew everybody in town, 
But he was still that outsider pastor. And the deal, what we did, we didn't have room for a food pantry, so if somebody came to the church needing help, if they needed a meal, we sent them to Peggy's. If, if they needed groceries, we sent them to Haddon's. Right? But here's what was great. If we sent them there, like Ben would say, okay, you need a meal, and they got kids. Okay, listen, you take your family, you go to Peggy's, and I'm going to call them, and they'll know you're coming, and you'll eat, and then go to Haddon's, and we'll get you some groceries. And then they would know not to let them load up with natural light or something. You know what I mean? Like, but it was, it was the social fabric at work. But this is what was great about it. Ben would send somebody, and then sometimes later on that day, she'd, Peggy would call and say, Ben, don't send them again. I've tried to give them a job three times, and they won't work. They're sorry. And see, that was the social fabric at work, right? Where we were going to help people in need, but we weren't going to continue. And she would feed them that day, right? But we're saying, and so in in that small town community, there was a sense of, yeah, we'll help anybody, but... Well, that's not Christian. When I was new here, you know, the Good Samaritan ministry is amazing. And back when Jerry was manning the fort, you know, uh, one day this guy came in and he was real hot-headed and I could hear him out in the office and he was really giving him some lip. And so I didn't want that going on. So I came out front and he pointed at, there was a sign, I think we've taken it down now, but there was, when we painted, but there was a sign that said, for good Samaritan, must have valid ID, must be resident of Byron, et cetera, et cetera. And he was like, why do I have to be a resident of Byron? Y'all don't care about people from Fort Valley? And I said, yeah, we do. We sure do, buddy. In fact, we have a church there. <laughs> I know the pastor. But, but he said, y'all ought to help everybody. I said, I completely agree. I completely agree. We ought to help everybody. I said, but you know what the problem is? We're limited. I want it, Listen, I wish I could help everybody from Atlanta and Jacksonville and California, but I, we are a small church, medium-sized church, and so we want to help everybody, but we have limits. I said, but tell you what, and y'all, I, was, I shouldn't have said this. I'm not as nice as Peggy. <laughs> I said, tell you what, you come worship with us this Sunday. And you join our Good Samaritan ministry team, and maybe you can help us expand it. Because you're right. I agree. This is wrong that we're only helping people in Byron. You're right. We could do more. You come and join us. All right, so you see what I did there? I was placing a boundary. I, I, I care about what you're saying, but I'm placing a boundary here that says, it's fine that you want to criticize our policy, but if you want to change it, you're going to come on my side. You come on my side, then we'll talk. Make sense? I want to invite you to stand in body and in spirit for the reading of God's holy word. This is coming out of the book of Galatians. This is a letter that Paul wrote to Christians in the region of Galatia. And this is at the tail end, so if you're not familiar with Paul's letters, the first half of the letter is all the the theology and the rationale. And you should never actually do what we're doing today. You should always start with the theology. So don't miss that. But this is the, the now what? Okay, if God loves everybody, if Jesus died for me and he's given me a mission, now what? What's that look like? So this is sort of how we should live together 
as Christians in community in a social fabric. Hear God's word. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves. You better watch yourself. Or you might be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. The Greek word is baras or bare in this. Carry each other's bare burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, <laughs> they deceive themselves. This is good stuff, right? Some of y'all, this is going to be your life verse now. You know, you think you're something, but you're not. You deceive yourself. Each one should test their own actions. Do you hear how much reflection he's inviting us to do right now? This is about our hearts. We've got to carry each other's burdens, but be, but be careful that you don't start to think you're something. And you better test your own actions. Because then we take pride in ourselves alone without comparing ourselves to others. And then he says this, For each one should carry their own fortion. Their own load. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Carry each other's burdens. Bear one another's burdens in some translations. And that's how you fulfill the law of Christ. And what is the law of Christ? Love. The law of Christ is love. We are not bound by the old law. The new law, love one another as I have loved you. What's that look like? Bear one another's burdens. There are no limits on love. We do not place limits on love. There is no limit on how far we will go to help somebody. There's no limits. We ought to help everybody. That's right. The guy's not wrong. You know what I'm saying? He's not wrong. We ought to help everybody. We ought not put limits. Oh, well, we're now, are you a member of uh, this political party? We only help certain are you an upstanding? No, we don't put limits. We don't put limits, right? We bear each other's barre. And so fulfill the love of Christ. A burden in this text, the Greek word baros or barre in this one, is something that you can't bear. So, you ever been there? I got too much, too much. Some of you are there now. Some of you have been, you're in that place of, you know, you got a burden and you are, we are not meant. That's why rugged individualism does not jive with Christianity because you're not meant to do life alone and you will encounter things that you cannot bear and that's a barre. But then did you see how he transitions it to each one must carry their own load. The, lo the word for load is fortion. <laughs> and that's like a backpack. That's what you can carry. 
And the scripture is full of this stuff. And that's where I think good, well-meaning Christians can get confused. Because we don't always make a good distinction between what's a burden and what's a load. And we are made to feel guilty or we make ourselves feel guilty when we're not carrying other people's load. Does that make sense? And there's been times in my life when, honestly, I wasn't carrying my own load. But I thought I was. You know what I mean? Like, I thought, that's everybody else's fault, you know? And I have to learn to carry my own load. And then I'm able to help somebody else shoulder some of their burden. And that's why that social fabric is so important. Uh, the book Boundaries by Henry Cloud and John Townsend is just a landmark book in this. Like, if you really struggle with this stuff, can't recommend the book Boundaries enough. And actually, I learned this distinction between burden and load from that book. It's great Christian psychologists. It's awesome. Um, you know, and they talk about a, a family, parents who come into counseling who have a 20-something-year-old child still living at home who they can't get to fill in the blank, Right? We need you to help our son. He has lots of problems. And then they detail their situation with their son. I mean, he won't do anything. He plays video games all the time. He eats all our food. And the counselor says, you know, I tell you, it doesn't sound like your son has any problems. And they get mad. What? And he says, sounds like y'all got some problems, though. Sounds like he doesn't have any. He says, maybe what we need to do is help you help your son have some problems. <laughs> now that doesn't sound very Christian, but it's it's deeply Christian. This is do you see? This is this is right in the spirit of Galatians of discerning, let's not get prideful, let's not think we're something, we're not better than anybody else. But think about this, if you want to have a well manicured yard and it's dry, and you got this nice sprinkler system. And your neighbor, you know, golly, you wish they'd cut their grass a little more. And could you edge once a season, for goodness sakes? And it just, you know what I mean? It looks terrible. And then come to find out your sprinklers, I mean, you're not blaming anybody, but somehow some of your sprinkler heads have gotten turned towards his yard. How do you feel? Are you going to keep paying to water your neighbor's grass? Or are you going to call the sprinkler company and have them come redirect the sprinkler heads? Right? Some of you in your life right now, that's a metaphor for what you're doing. You're not carrying your own load, but you're actually watering someone else's grass, and it's their job to do that. And if you do that for them, guess what? They will never do it. So this is a toughie. One time I was needing to learn how to grow up, and I got a mentor in the recovery movement, and I was leaning on him a little too heavily, you know, and I was wanting him to uh, make my life better and fix all my problems, and he, in a huff, went and grabbed this handout and said, here, read this. So you can take that handout. And this is one of the most wonderful gifts I've ever been getting. Made me mad. Because, you know, Scruff is all about 12 steps. So they call this 12 steps of a mentor. Or an AA, a sponsor. Number one. Y'all have one? Y'all want one? Um, 
Number one, I will not help you stay and wallow in limbo. Two, I will help you grow to become more productive by your definition. Three, I will help you become more autonomous, more loving of yourself, more excited, less sensitive, freer to become, freer to continue becoming the authority of your own living. Four, I cannot give you dreams or fix you up simply because I cannot. God, I love that one. Five, I cannot give you growth or grow for you. You must grow yourself by facing reality, grim as it may be at times. Six, I cannot take away your loneliness or pain. Seven, I cannot sense your world for you, evaluate your goals, or tell you what is best for you in your world. You have your own world. Eight, I cannot convince you of the crucial choice of choosing the scary uncertainty of growing over the safe misery of not growing. Nine, I want to be with you and know you as a rich and growing friend, yet I cannot get close to you when you choose not to grow. Ten, when I begin to care for you out of pity, when I begin to lose trust in you, then I am toxic, bad, and inhibiting for you and you for me. Eleven, you must know my help is conditional. I will be with you, hang in there with you, as long as I continue to get even the slightest hints that you are trying to grow. Twelve, if you, cannot, if you can accept all this, if you can accept all this, then perhaps we can help each other to become what God meant us to be, maturing adults, leaving childishness forever to little children. Oh, can I get an amen? Woo, brutal, but so good. That is, that's boundaries right there. That's saying this is a permeable boundary. I'm not building a wall. I'm not cutting you off. I'm saying here's the terms. I want to help with your burden. I don't want to help with your load. We need, to, we need to move to the table, uh, but there's so much more, and, and, and so we're kind of starting it today, and I hate to do something like this where I wish I could say it all, sometimes I try to, you know, but I, I wish I could say it all, but you, you, there's so much more, this is such a complicated, I wish it was just an easy answer, but there's not easy answers, this is situational, and, and it takes God, so in case you don't come back, I want to throw one thing out there. Because we're coming to this table. And, and this is where, if you're in doubt of whether you should help or not, I want to always come to Jesus. And remember that I want to err on the side of grace, not on the side of justice. I believe in both. And my God, sometimes I needed justice in my life. Sometimes I needed the pain. But thank God that at the root of our story is the blood of Jesus shed for you and for me when we did not deserve it. And so be careful. That's why he's saying check your heart. Let's be careful. Let's not walk out of here and think, yeah, I'm going to really not help some people this week. By God. You know, like be, be careful of your heart going in that direction because, because remember, 
that, that we are here because Jesus looked at us when we weren't even bearing our own load. And he said, let me take your burden. A burden that you and I cannot bear. And that's, so that's the root of our story. That's the root of this passage in Galatians. You know, it's like if you don't get that you've been saved by a God who took away your burden, then you're, you're, you're just going to turn into a Pharisee. You, you know what I mean? There's no way about, you're going to either, be, you're going to become a prideful elder brother who is just terrible for people. And that's what I don't want. So let's, let's, let's let the blood of Jesus continue to prick our hearts. And make us compassionate for even, you know, people that we know we're out of line. Well, so what? So were you, right?